This morning's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Matthew. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the, as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Well, um, <clears throat> we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount and um, for a while now, and it's been encouraging. I, I really enjoy the Sermon on the Mount, even though it's quite painful. Uh, it is a part in uh, the beginning of the Bible in Matthew, which the New Testament, <clears throat> it begins with Matthew's book. Matthew was a tax collector who wrote a gospel, a narrative about Jesus. And in this gospel, he writes of Jesus going up the narrative account, the historical account of Jesus going up on a mountainside and beginning to preach a sermon. And within that are all sorts of things that we've looked at practically. Uh, we've, we've talked about uh, money, sexuality. We've talked about now prayer. And we've been looking at prayer for quite some time. And it's interesting because the disciples in another account actually asked Jesus a good question, one that we would all ask him. How do we pray? Uh, how, how should I pray? And I think it's an interesting thing, especially coming from a bunch of disciples, people that were largely Jewish, that had been probably taught prayer when they were younger, but now they're with a new teacher, a rabbi they've been following for a long time. And they, say, they ask the question, how should we pray? And this is the prayer that, uh, that Jesus gave them. And many of us, even if we're here and, and you're, you're unfamiliar with the Bible or even church itself, may even know this prayer because it's kind of familiar, uh, the Lord's Prayer, right? Um, but it was actually supposed to be, rather than us reciting it, which we often do, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. Uh, you know, those lines are typically for us to actually understand as a model. They're to give us an outline of how to pray. So when we see things like, give us this day our daily bread, it's supposed to actually double click and open up into this whole package of us, hey, how does this apply not just to one line of me saying this, but how does it apply to multiple ways that I need in my life? Um, <clears throat> it, it's interesting, Time Magazine has actually put out several uh, articles over the years about prayer and its effectiveness in people's lives. Well, and, 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 you know, much of it comes from <clears throat> them doing studies of how psychologically it actually impacts people. And their question in the most recent one was, why does prayer actually help people? Well, one of the things they came to was, is it a purely psychological thing? Is it something to, to, for any of us to speak to an imaginary listener? Does that actually help our stress levels? They found that it does chemically. It does work, does help. But, but is that helpful to us? Uh, Ricky Gervais, who's a, a comedian who is an outspoken atheist, he's not a Christian at all, in fact, very opposite of that, speaks quite against Christianity, but had a line, a Twitter post recently, 
And I thought it was very uh, both telling about view of Christianity and prayer and about how, how, asking us the question, how should we view it? He said this, I'll pray for you equals I want some credit for caring without actually having to do anything that takes any effort or that actually works. So when we use the line, I'll pray for you, what are we really saying? I, I think what's interesting that he's pointing out here and kind of two questions that he raises is one is, is prayer a real thing of me caring for you as a person? Am I actually doing it? But secondly, is prayer a real thing that there's actually a God who cares and cares about my needs? See, the first half of this prayer, when we start reading this prayer, is about God's character. We saw this a couple weeks ago. He unpacks who he is in order for us to pray. But this is what's incredible. On this side of it, he begins to say, we can start praying for our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. We forgive our debtors. You start talking about what we need, our relationships to both our world, to, to, to uh, food, to people, our own sin, to the world around us. And, and it's incredible that God moves, moves from his character to ours to shape us by our needs. And that's the real question I want us to look at today, to answer, is does God really care about our needs? Or is it just kind of this psychological thing praying to an imaginary person? Many times we may feel like that's the truth. But in this, in this part as we pray, and as you should be encouraged and instructed to pray, we're to pray when we say, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're actually supposed to be praying that in reality, believing that God cares about our physical needs and our spiritual needs. And that's what we're going to look at today. Has, does he really care for our physical needs and our spiritual needs? Does he? And how? So let's, let's, let's look at this just briefly as we look at uh, verse 11, give us today our daily bread. What, what are we praying when we pray that? <clears throat> Is it simply something that just says, hey, make sure you pray before your meals, you know? I remember in college that I went to a, a largely Christian-ish school, and people that may not have even been Christians would just, hey, you just prayed before meals. So before every meal, everyone was always praying. And I knew many of my friends were like, I'm so sick of everybody just bowing their heads, not even caring, because it's just a tradition. Is that what we're supposed to do? Is it we're just bowing our heads before a meal because we're just supposed to do that? Or is there a deeper thing to it? Is there a thankfulness? Is there a reality? One of my former campus minister friends uh, used to say before a meal, he'd look around at all of us, and instead of praying, he'd go with his southern accent, Are we thankful? Are we thankful? You know, and he'd just ask that, and we'd be like, uh, yes, yes, yeah, you know, and then we'd have to talk about it and then eat our meal. But it forces you to go, are we thankful? Where, where's this come from? Think about this. In Jesus' day, laborers were paid on a daily basis. You got your wage daily. And that also meant when you received your wages, you went and got your food for that day. You didn't save a whole, you weren't able to save a whole lot of money. And if you did, you didn't, you didn't spend it all on food. You saved it for other things because the economy was largely, largely agrarian, right? It was mainly a farming community. So if, if there was a drought, if there was something that happened in terms of famine, it, it ruined not just the crops, but everyone. It struck the community deeply. And in our community, we don't necessarily deal with that as much. 
For us, yes, crops, famine, drought, those kind of things affect us. But even if those happen, we are in a, in a culture, in a place where we can still go like down the street and order something we want. We don't have to worry about it. We can go, oh man, that's, that's not good for the economy, but I'm, I'm not going hungry. I can still eat. We still get our needs met. I was eating even this week at a new restaurant I've never been to before, and I ordered uh, breakfast and said, well, I'm sorry, you can't have that uh, or anything else with eggs in it because we don't have eggs right now. We have to go to the farmer's house this morning and ask for more eggs. And I was a little bit taken back by that. I was like, okay, I'll just have coffee. You know, uh, it was kind of a strange uh, thing to encounter is they're, they're hauling the eggs back and then they came and made eggs and whatever. But it was an interesting thing to, for me to actually experience waiting and stopping and saying, I'm not going to eat. These eggs are coming from somewhere. We, we don't typically run into that. That's a really kind of surprising thing when that happens. And, and we, we need to encounter that. But it's a huge thing for us to understand that God, does God actually care about our physical needs? Think about in this position, when Jesus is saying for them to pray this, they literally day after day had to look to God to say, God, are you gonna provide for me today? Am I gonna get a wage, first of all? Because it wasn't just about the food, it was our daily bread was everything. It was all the resources. In fact, Martin Luther, the, the famous reformer, actually took this line and he said, this doesn't just mean food, it actually means everything in society. It means we're praying for just fair trade. It means for the economy. It means for unemployment. It means for all the things that are going on in the city that deal with commerce and our daily bread. It has to function. Look, we can plan as much as we want tomorrow. And we can look back historically at what's going on, but today is the only day we have. This is the only day we know of. And for them in that society, that's all they could hang their hat on because it could not, it might not rain for the next several months and they have no crops. All they could do is be dependent on that day. And I think where we've come from in our circles, we don't have to worry about that. And so how easy is it for us to not really pray this prayer? We think maybe when we pray, we're praying, we need to pray for other things or spend our time elsewhere. But how much does our dependency on, our being dependent on our own work ethic, our savings, all that we have, all we're able to just walk down the street and order, that we're, we've really lost a dependence. Let's just be, just be practical about this. This is the practical way we're to pray. Do we really have a dependence on God for our daily needs? I mean, some of you may have been in this position where you're kind of living paycheck to paycheck. You go, I don't know how I'm going to pay these bills. Maybe you're still in that place. Maybe you've been unemployed for a while. Maybe you're, you've just gotten employment and you're kind of realizing, oh, what a breath of fresh air to have a job again. Many of us have an ex may have experienced that or not, but it's to drive us to go, God in kindness provides day after day. He gives to us. St. Augustine, another theologian, said it this way. He says, we're here to pray for our necessities, not our luxuries. To pray for our daily bread means we're, we're praying to a God who is kind enough, who would he be willing enough to give to us? He says, Jesus says elsewhere, if, his fa if a father loves his child, he's not gonna give him a stone when he asks for bread. 
He's a good father. He cares for us. But it's not about our luxuries and having everything that we want. It's about what do we need? What are we dependent on? And do we understand when we pray this? Let's mind this out. When we go before God, this is how we pray. Is this line, give us our our daily bread, mining out of you, drawing out of you, calling you to look in the mirror of the reality of what you really want and what you really need? What you're maybe pursuing that, that may not be what you really need. And being dependent on a God who really cares for you where you are. It's amazing if you look back in the Old Testament to see this unpacked. Because the Old Testament people were constantly asking the same questions we are. Even though, you know, they lived in a different culture and society, they're constantly saying, God, are you going to provide for me? They even had years where every seventh year they were, they were supposed to let the land kind of be. It was called a, a Sabbath year. They weren't supposed to really do any harvesting. They were supposed to like let the, let the ground rest for a year. It was the way that God said, you need to allow the land to rest. And, and every time it says in the Old Testament, they, they'd get to that seventh year and they'd say, God, how are you going to provide for us this year? What am I supposed to do this year? And God says, I will provide for you twofold in the sixth year so you'll have enough in the seventh year so that you may rest as well as the land. Do we trust God, honestly, to provide for us? And even in the times when we feel, honestly, think about this, even in the times when we feel as though we're praying for our daily bread and he doesn't give it, do we ever stop to ask, God, is there a reason you're not? Do we pray to God for our daily bread because of what he gives us or for who he is? And I'll tell you, my heart oftentimes prays to God because of the things he can give me rather than his character. Isn't this why Jesus begins this this prayer starting with God's character and then shaping ours? So that we understand what we're praying for in our daily bread. And not just ours, but those around us. Do we know what's going on in this city where other people are longing for their daily bread? Economy. Fair and just trade. There's stuff going on all around us. Are we praying for that as well? Not just our economy, but all of it. God works in it. It says that he cares for us in this. How could we pray and show our dependence on God as a reflection of his greatness and his kingdom to those outside of this? This, this worship time this morning, as I even said, reflecting into your Monday through Friday, through Saturday even. How does it show that you trust in what he's doing in feast or famine? Not just imaginary, but that he comes in this. He speaks to his people about that. He also talks about not just the physical needs, but our spiritual needs, that we have both. Now, I think it's interesting because we pray, and when we do pray, typically I would think that we pray thinking that God cares more for our spiritual needs and we care more for our physical needs. <laughs> we come to God going, God, can you give me this? And we think God comes to us saying, I need to change you in here. But he cares for both. The physical and spiritual are not separated. We've got to understand that. 
that he, Jesus lines up this prayer beautifully. He says, give us this day our daily bread, right? The things that we need, right? And, but then he goes into our debts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He talks about debts and temptation. And here, I want to I stop for a minute because I want to, look, many of you may have come to church for years and heard this prayer or heard about debts and temptation. Those words are maybe strange to us. To talk about debt in the Bible, to talk about temptation, forgiveness, we need to kind of define our terms, especially if you come in here this morning and you're like, these are all those words that I learned growing up and I, I've kind of like, eh, I wish I didn't have to hear anymore. Why does Jesus talk about these things. What he does beautifully is this, and this is what the ancients believe, that, that they believe that there's both an evil inside of us that needs to be dealt with and an evil outside of us. That there's something within us that must be taken care of. It, it's not hard for us to understand that in our world. There is an evil in us. We see atrocities that we do and that everyone else around us does. We experience it. But there's also this evil outside of us, right? that we know exists. It's not necessarily too foreign for us to understand that. So that's what Jesus goes into these parts. He says, and forgive us, our debts. He talks about debts, and then he talks about temptation and the evil one. <clears throat> and the word debt is, is an interesting word because I don't know if many of us would talk about debt as much as we think. Debt is a word that really drives home the fact that there's a lack in us. There's a cost. There's something in us that needs to be dealt with because it, it, it has, it is accrued. It's, it's that feeling you get, and maybe you've been there before, when you have too much credit card debt or credit card debt at all, any debt that you're paying off, you know that you have to send a check in. You know there's a cost there. It's always kind of hanging over your head, but you're trying to chip away at it. You're trying to go at it, and maybe you can pay it off, and maybe it just continues to linger, and maybe it looks like, okay, I got 10 more years to take care of this. What the Bible talks about when it says debt, it's saying that you have something within you that cannot be paid off. It's accrued so much within you that you don't even know if you could pay it, and we've tried to. It, that's, that's the thing that the Bible's talking about that we want to try to do. That's what the Pharisees and other religious leaders were trying to do. That's why the Sermon on the Mount is so powerful, because the people came up on the mountainside, and they're hearing him talk about this, and they're saying, I know my debt, but I thought I had to pay it off with my own card. But Jesus is saying, no. We have this debt within us. Do you understand it? And the word forgiveness, and here's how we know what debt is. The word forgiveness in Greek means to wipe out or to wash over. It's an incredibly powerful word. It actually means to wipe out of the memory. To wipe the memory out of that. There's no, 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 not even a memory of it left. I remember being in seminary and um, I was taking this Hebrew class. I had an incredible professor who's a, Hebrew is an interesting language. I don't know if you've studied, some of you may have read it or studied it before, but you read it from the wrong direction, you read it from right to left, and it's just odd, just the, the, the way, and I kind of enjoyed it, but, but it was so foreign to me. And I remember in a class having to take my first exam or quiz, rather, with my, um, with my professor, and he wrote on the board, he said, I have one question. Can you figure out what the Hebrew word for grace is? And we all were trying to 
figure out what it was, and um, we didn't know, and even if we knew what it was, we couldn't really write it. It It's so hard to figure out. We'd just begun Hebrew. How can I write, actually, the Hebrew with the pointings and everything that's odd about it? At the end of the, the, he stops, he gave us a time limit, he stopped and he said, okay, what do you got? And we literally had nothing, I mean, it was, it was kind of pathetic. I mean, we're like making up stuff, you know, and he says, okay, whatever you have on your paper, write this word at the top. And he wrote on the board, word pronounced hesed at the top, meaning kindness, mercy. And he said, take this word and copy it on your paper. And we wrote it on our paper and he said, Now write 100 at the top of your paper. And then he gave us like a sermon at about seven minutes long, eight minutes long. We're all weeping. I'm crying in Hebrew class, right? Like (laughs) this kind of nerd alert. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm crying in Hebrew. But I'm learning that is forgiveness. He wiped out the memory of anything we had on that page with what he said, this is what goes over it. It's a washing out. You and I have such profound debt. If, if we approach this prayer and just kind of read it, this is what it's actually saying. You cannot forgive or have practical forgiveness in, the life, in your life with anyone else unless you actually know and hold your debt. You will not understand it. I will not get it. And you will not understand forgiveness unless you know how great that wiping out is of God towards you. You will not. Even if you're here this morning and you're entertaining Christianity again, let me tell you, the, the, the phrase that people use often to say, you need to learn to forgive yourself. You can never forgive yourself enough. I don't agree with that. You may disagree with me, that's fine. I think there's only one that can actually forgive you enough outside of you so that you can look at yourself with clarity and freedom. It has to be someone bigger than you. And it has to be someone who comes in this form. That is why Jesus says forgiveness is this weighty. It has to outweigh your debt. It has to wipe it out. And I think in terms of understanding for forgiveness and debt towards other people, we need to be careful here because I don't want to press the idea that you can go out to any relationship and forgiveness is just this wild thing. It's costly, isn't it? That's the point of using the language debt. If there's debt, it means, and then there's a wiping out of it, that means the cost has to go somewhere. It means someone has to take it on. And that's what Jesus is saying. You have to understand the debt that's taken on in order for you to learn costliness in you when you enter into relationships, how to handle it. There, there's something called legal debt first. I, I want to I I describe these terms briefly. Legal debt is the fact that we're, where we understand, it, are you good or bad? And oftentimes when we have a debt in relationship where we kind of say, can I forgive this person? We either say, I'm good and they're bad or vice versa. But legal debt is the way that God says, no, you're, you're both in debt and you both need forgiveness. It's a way to approach and have pity because you can say, I can't look at this other person who has harmed me or or otherwise and say, I'm better than them. It's the fact that we all have debt. Now, the next step though is there is relational debt and that's the other thing though in forgiveness 
is the fact that there is a breach oftentimes in a relationship. Sometimes in our relationships, there's, there's not reconciliation, and that is difficult. Sometimes there is, and it's beautiful, and we should strive for that. But sometimes there's wisdom in that debt. Many, many of you may know somebody, or some of you may have encountered this yourself. If you're in an abusive relationship, or have been in one, or have been abused, it is unwise to go back to an abuser to be abused again. So what is forgiveness there? Forgiveness there may be the legal debt that you know that you can say, I can forgive this person for who they are, but I'm not going to be able to reconcile myself to them. There's an incredible story about um, it, from the 60s uh, when uh, uh, Israeli undercover agents finally captured and nabbed one of the worst Holocaust uh, perpetrators of all time, a man named Adolf Eichmann. They found him hiding in a hideout in South America, finally brought him on trial, and as on the day that he was testified, he was behind bulletproof glass, and as they brought in people who had, uh, you know, were there to testify against him, witnesses against Adolf Eichmann, this horrible, horrible list of atrocities that he had done. One of those people was one who had miraculously escaped actually Auschwitz himself. His name was Ye uh, Yehiel Dunur. And on the day when he walked into the courtroom, it says that behind the bulletproof glass, there's Eichmann. He Yehiel Dunur, this survivor of the Holocaust, enters in after he knows what e Eichmann has done to his friends, atrocities that he has, he has presided over himself, catches him eye to eye and begins to convulse and fall on the floor. In an in a, in a interview in 60 Minutes later, he would sit with Mike Wallace, and Mike Wallace plays the tape for him behind, you know, just as if they'd watch it, and we could watch it with him and say, what happened here? Are you literally seeing the evil that you've faced all your life? And listen to what he said. He said, I was afraid about myself. I saw that I am capable to do this exactly like he. And Mike Wallace turned the camera later and says, how was it possible for a man to act as Eichmann acted? Was he a monster, a madman, or was he perhaps something more terrifying? Was he normal? And then Denier said this in his conclusion. He said, Eichmann is in all of us. We may not carry out the atrocities. Denier did not carry that out. But what he recognized, he said, I see the evil in him in me. Would Denier be reconciled to Eichmann? No, it's not like they, went, they would be friends or hang out or actually get to know each other later. No, that's not what happened. But what did he understand? He understood his debt and he understood what he needed. And that is what we need to understand when we're praying this. And when we approach those who have breached our relationships, even if there isn't reconciliation, we need to try and move for that, try and move for reconciliation. But if we cannot, we must understand that's what we need. Because when we move to that, to our trespasses, and I mean to our temptations that will lead us not into temptation, the evil outside of us, that temptation is this, this, this desire. There's a difference between us having temptation and being led into it. And what he means by entering into it, it means we start, if, if, if we're not careful, 
Not praying, God, please forgive. It's not that we're, we're all in temptation. We all have the temptation to do things. Entering into temptation is taking on the whole life of it. It's saying, I'm going to live this way. Deliver us from the evil one. As much as we pray for God's kingdom to be manifest, we must pray against an actual evil kingdom that is run by a a, a figure, an actual figure. Whether you're here today and you kind of go, I don't know how much I believe that. There is evil outside of us and there is something at work here. Are we praying against that? Are we praying that we would be any praying against the fact that we would be any part of that in our temptations and sin. Because we see our evil exactly like Denur did on that day. This is what we're praying for. This is the depth and power of what we see when we pray this model prayer. This is what we're supposed to understand. But here's what's even more powerful about this. It's that you can pray this all day long. How does this encourage you to actually become someone who is a f- not only faithful in prayer, but believe that prayer is actually a reality, that God moves in it? Think about this. As you come forward to take this bread, Jesus himself said after he fed 5,000 people, and that, can you imagine? I mean, why wouldn't you follow a guy who took fish and bread and basically fed everybody. This is a cool meal program. I mean, that's the way to do it. But you know what he said to them? He said, this is not the bread. I am the bread of heaven. Unless you consume me, you will always hunger for what you cannot fill. You know what he, he said about our debt? He said, you have incredible debt. But you know what he did with the debt? He actually, on the cross, looked down at those who were persecuting, who were friends rejecting and walking away, and he said to them, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is a table of forgiveness. The memories of your sin are washed away in the blood of Jesus. The bread of heaven, the blood that was shed on that cross. And here's what's fascinating to me. There is only one that has encountered temptation and resisted it. The book of Hebrews says that only one has done that. In fact, it says in Hebrews, wait, you haven't resisted temptation to the point of shedding blood, have you? as if to ask us the question, who has? Our bread, our blood, our savior through our temptation. Your prayers are answered. You know why? Because he came in flesh. And he continues to sit in flesh now, in reality, because he cares about your bread every day. What you're going to eat right after you walk out these doors, which you may be even thinking about right now. I can't wait to eat that. He cares about that. The debt that you bring in this room and that you've had all your life and you will continue to accrue, he cares about that. He has done something for you. He has paid it. As you come to this table, take in that name. This is not my table. This is not Christ's prez table. This is Jesus' table. And if you're here this morning and you find yourself saying, I can take care of my debt, I, I, 
I can do it myself. I'd encourage you not to come take. Sit and, and think on these things. Come forward, fold your hands and pray. Receive prayer, but don't take this meal if you think you don't need it. Take this meal only in your need of him. Let's stand together and let's read from the Book of Common Prayer.